to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name's Shane Brennan. I'm the host of this podcast, where we bring you some insights from the key leaders of cold chain businesses in the UK and sometimes from around the world. Um, in my day job, I also run the UK Cold Chain Federation, the trade association that speaks up as the voice of temperature control logistics, working across a whole range of issues affecting our sector and running a great range of events and other networking opportunities. If you're not involved in the Cold Chain Federation already, then look us up because there's some great opportunities there for you, whether you're involved as an operator, whether you're selling equipment, or whether you're just interested in how our temperature control products are kept safe, are moved, how they're adapting to sustainability challenges, and generally being relevant to the, to the world of customers they serve. For regular podcast listeners, I best, best start with an apology. It's been a little while since I last re- recorded one of these uh, interviews, and I know... Um, Whenever we do them, we get great feedback from people about the insights they bring. And I've got a great one. It's been worth waiting for. Let's just say that in terms of who we got to speak to today. Before I get on and introduce my guest, I'm going to say a couple of words about, you know, think the world as it is today. I mean, it's very hard to look past the issues around inflation, food price costs, and, you know, literally number 10 meetings, food security summits, talking about uh, the issues around price on the shelf with that staying stubbornly high. Whilst overall inflation in the UK is starting to decline, food price inflation remains high and that's got people worried. It's a testament to how worried politicians are that we see leaking to the paper the idea of imposing food price controls on what supermarkets can sell key food staples for. I mean, I don't think they're going to do that. Many Few people actually do think they will do that, but it doesn't mean that it isn't a signal of our times that that's how worried people are about this inflationary pressure. And that's going to playing out across the supply chain. You know, the continued drive to find efficiencies, to reduce costs, to challenge the tension level that plays out that we're all uh, very alive to. Thankfully, some of the structural input costs are starting to see decline, whether it's energy prices, some of the costs of well, availability of labour. Labour remains incredibly expensive and will probably stay so for the long term in the UK. But um, the uh, availability of labour has actually been in a better place in the last um, few few months, at least. Long may that continue. From your organisation's point of view, I guess we've been very focused on our conversation with government about the changing nature of our trade flows, whether it's the discussions around... I spent some really good time in Northern Ireland last week talking to a number of members out there about... Uh, how they see the, see the world, and they've got big changes ahead with the implementation of new rules for trading between the UK and Northern mainland and Northern Ireland. But also we're all gearing up for the 31st of October when the rules change for food import controls coming into the UK from the EU. Very big concern in that area. So lots and lots keeping us busy. Some great events coming up. We've got a brilliant summer celebration in July in Celtic Manor, and we're really gearing up now. Bookings are coming in fast for our Cold Chain Live conference in September at the ACC in Liverpool. Brilliant lineup of speakers, really uh, top quality guest list already in, in place with way more to come. So, you know, if you haven't already, get, get your booking in now because you might be disappointed if you don't uh, move quickly and get booked in. So, without further ado, let me get let's get on to the the main meat of our reason for being together today, which is to talk to a member of the Cold Chain Federation board, someone who anyone who works in the UK Cold Chain will know, and I'm sure if you know him, is to like him. Um, is uh, Paul Martin, the leader of the ICE company storage and logistics business. Um, in a world of very big international players, it's easy to forget some of the great, uh, growing, future-facing businesses that we are proud to have in the UK market. 
And in Paul, you see someone who is incredibly experienced, incredibly thoughtful, a leader that absolutely leads from the front, who has an incredibly loyal team working around him, you know, committed to high standards, passionate about what they do, constantly looking for innovation. And in particular, on the growth trail, something that we didn't necessarily see coming when the um, when the ice company announced its acquisition of Savage Haulage, expanding its footprint both in the UK and its capacities, a really exciting opportunity to drive for that. And we'll hear more about that in the conversation. So listen up, listen well. It's a really good, really good insight from someone who really knows what they're talking about and also a lot of fun. So thanks a lot uh, to Paul for taking part in the conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the com- listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Paul Martin, welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Shane. A pleasure to be here. Really happy to provide this podcast on behalf of the yeah. industry. Um, I'm Paul Martin, Managing Director of the Ace Company Storage and Logistics. Actually, there's a new a new name now, a new identity for the business. That's right. So, yeah, that's right. So the new name is the trade, we trade in our store logs. Um, the reason behind that was um, throughout the years of development within the businesses, we have uh, two very separate businesses. One is production of ice cubes, uh, which is uh, it done on one side of the business, and the other one was third-party storage and distribution. Throughout the times, we have worked closely with ICE, and we still do on distribution, but we've been very different in what our service offerings are. We wanted to be very clear that what we do is offer third-party storage and logistics to the manufacturers and other companies. So obviously throughout the times, as we gain our own independence, we have actually um, diverged the two businesses. So the two businesses can run independently, and it allows us to have a clear identity within the industry. And that's because many a time when we come across um, over the years, everybody just refers to us as, oh, you make ice cubes, don't you? Where, you know, in fairness, we do a lot more than just make ice cubes. So we provide a, a, quite a large multi-site um, service throughout for the, the manufacturer, for further manufacturing, wholesale and food service. So what we wanted to do was to make sure that there was no um, confusion within that. And the ice obviously still will continue to grow and develop as it does, which is a successful brand of ice cube manufacturer. Right. I mean, I mean, most those of us that are in the kind of core of the cold chain, obviously very much know you, know the team, know the brand. And I think that, you know, it's a natural kind of evolution of the name. You know, it's sort of the identity isn't going to change that dramatically. It's just that kind of core name that will be that will be different. Can you, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about, um, just sort of start from, for those that are listening to this that don't necessarily know the business, can you sort of, be, sort of just explain, you know, where, where, where you're based and what, what your kind of service offer to the market is? Yeah, we, we are predominantly, our head office is in Doncaster, a village called South Kirby, which is eight miles north of Doncaster. We run a, a 24,000 pallet cool store here. Uh, what we predominantly do is obviously cool storage, tempering, blast freezing, repacking operations. We are sitting here situated on an, the old Frigga Scania site, which we have obviously over the years spent a lot of money in development. One of the things with the old cool stores against the new ones is that, that we've had a lot of different areas and rooms within these sites to repurpose. And one of the big values that we've seen within the industry is to know our place in the market, and that is to offer the added value service on the back of a cool store that we have running. So. We have the 24,500 pallet cool store here at South Kirby. We have 5,000 pallet cool store in Newcastle. And we have 11,000 pallet cool store in Preston. Then recently, as we know, in, in November 2022, we've acquired Savage Cool Stores, which is a 7,000 pallet cool store in Thetford. 
in Norfolk, and we have the one uh, near Peterborough in March, which is a 5,000 pallet cool store. Um, so that has added to the complement we've got, all offering the same services, blast freezing, tempering, repack, further further added value uh, services we can give on the back of the course. That, that acquisition snuck up on me. You didn't, you know, with all the businesses out there that are acquiring stuff, you kept that one really quiet. So I need to, I'm going to ask you about that because, you know, I need to, I need to know yeah. a little bit more about that in a, in a moment and, 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 and how that came about. But um, um, it's a really good uh, move. And obviously it's a business that we know well as well, Savage Haulage and, and uh, March Cold Stores. Um, you know, great people there. And I know that, I know I can definitely see already the kind of, the cultural fit between the people that work with you guys and the people that work there. So I'm, uh, I, I was really pleased to see it, but let's talk about a bit more about that, a bit about that in a moment. Um, so obviously, like you say, so, so, so your division, and it's very much your division, you're the managing director and you've, how long have you been doing that, that job, Paul? I've, I've done the job for the, the, this company since 2013, but I have been managing directors of course store since 2006 uh, previously, um, but I have been in the industry since I hate to see it, since nineteen eighty since nineteen eighty nine is when I officially joined working in the cool store down on the North Shields docks. Um it it begun I've got a lot to thank my dad for. Um in the eighties I used to ride shotgun a lot with him and that you know, being born in nineteen seventy one I was sort of in my teens and you know, my average school holiday consisted of going washing trucks going loading trucks and going delivering to what was at the time the Argyle stores, which was Hinton's, Lipton's, Tesco's, Presto's, all them old names that were bought by the Argyle group originally. Um, so I had a lot of early experience of what it was to go around the country in a truck, to go around delivering frozen products, to see what how it come work within the coal store. And I got an early taste of that um, when I was in my teens. Following that from school, I actually did. Um, I did actually go to college and train to be a, a engineer fitter, um, which I did do for a couple of years. But always still had in mind what I sort of practiced with my dad and doing what I did within the cool store market. My father had worked for that company for twenty years previous to that as well, so it'd always been in the in like the household. So, did you get? Did you ever get class one? Did you? Are you qualified to drive? No, no, I, I did. I didn't, and the reason I didn't was because as we developed and I become more into the management side, we realised that it's too easy to have a class one and be the next port of call if something right, okay. comes over to me. Quite a lot of the time. So in in all the time that I have actually drove and manoeuvred class ones and done work done within a private business, I have to say. Um, you know, I never actually did go for. So you can get one on the bay then. So the drivers don't look at you like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I mean, there's been many a times where, even when I was younger in the nineties, I'd see drivers struggling to put them on the loading bay. So I'd just pull them out, jump on, and put it on the bay for them and get it sorted. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people can drive forwards, but not. Not in reverse with the, the, the truck that bends. It's quite important, I think, when, you, when you've got a team of drivers that they do think that you they, they, they think you know more or less what you're doing. I think it's a you know it is a yeah. a particular kind of uh, skill that uh, people respect you if you know what you're doing with it. I've I've had some real good grounding, you know, because I've literally worked right the way through from bottom to top, and I've and one of my key uh, aspects is always is the shop floor, the, the man on the floor, the man in the truck. And understanding and having an understanding of what it is he has to do and how it works and you know what the what the pitfalls are what the ups and downs are you know I've got a real good understanding of that and I'm very focused on 
the actual workforce you know, for me. And then talk to you a bit more about that because I, I, you know, your company, your team stands out as a team that really is united and comes together and knows, and knows what it's mm-hmm. about. So let's talk a bit about that in a moment. But it's obviously, so you started yeah. out the Argyle Cold Store Group and then where... where... Well, well, it was, sorry, it was, a company, it was a company who delivered on behalf of... It was a company called David Price Frozen Foods at the time, which actually... Uh, when when I was working alongside my dad, I wasn't employed by the business and um, did supply. Basically, frozen products used to go direct to the store, not through a distribution center. So you were all there with the bread guys, the milk guys, and you were there delivering your produce and putting them into this thing. So that, that as a child, as a teenager, is what I obviously w- was to, to do. But later on, it became a service industry when Argyle Group bought them, it all and it was taken away from it at that point. Well, and, so, and David Price was where you were at for most of the time, right up until the ice cream? Yeah, so I, I started with David Price Food Services in 1989, and we've done the acquisition over to the ice company in 2013. So. And and I guess culturally, in terms of, like you say, the you know, part of the Mar group, but very much as a separate division, you know, with a new brand, new identity, to yes. very clearly definitive, as of this year, defining yourself with a different name to make sure that that separation is better understood in the marketplace. But I think that that separation yeah. has been pretty clear for, from, from pretty much the outset, hasn't it, in terms of how you've been asked to run the business? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I was brought in to obviously look and take the storage and logistics side of the business into a direction that was positive and you know, future-proofing it for, for, for the family and for the shareholders involved. And, you know, so I like to think that, that over the course of the last 10 years, we've done that. And with that has come independence and stand on your own two feet is the, the right phrase to, to, to use. Um, we are now in a position where we have two very separate businesses with the share, same shareholders who, who support both businesses, but obviously can clearly see that each business can run on its own merits. So I'm really proud that we've all as a team got from where we got in 2013, which wasn't in a particularly good place. But you know, where we are now is year after year, we've just continued to grow, develop and be stronger each do you, year. Do you think that when you started in 2013, you had a vision for what you wanted it to be? And does that map to what you are today, do you think? Or has, have you learned along the way? Yeah, there's been a bit of learning on the way, as you know, you never stop learning. But I have to say, and I had this conversation just the other day, that when I joined the group, I was asked to give a vision, a three to five year vision of where the business can be, what we can do, where our place is in the market. Because you know, one thing we have to understand is, you even though we are a reasonable sized business, we're still nowhere near some of the big, big boys in the business, and we understand that. So it was to say, right, well, where's our place? And our place, as we started there, was to use the facilities we've got to give the added value, the personalised service, the little bit extra that we can take time to do on smaller accounts. Um, you know, but obviously I've always been, in all my years, I've been very focused with the customer. I mean, in all the 30 years I've been in the business, I've always been very close to all the customers. I've done quite a lot of sales, albeit I don't class myself as a salesman, but I've done a lot of sales with customers, just making sure that what we actually say we can do, we can do. But the vision that we've got has been a few little changes along the way, but in fairness, just about where we focused to be. First thing I did was obviously we had a larger fleet in 2012, 2013. First thing I did was sort of pull that back, then brought it back forward again. So a little bit of going backwards to go forwards, but with the right levels of work and the type of work that we obviously specialise in. Yeah, and I think one thing, and I guess you've always, 
whenever I talk to you, ever since I first arrived in this industry five years ago, and you know you've been on the board with me ever ever since I ever since I started, I know, but a long time before that. One thing I've always struck me with the way you see the world, Paul, is when you're in terms of your facility, your 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 your, uh, your operations, you're always focused on the details and quality. And I think the investments you've been making yeah. over the years have really taken your sights and made sure they are they are you know as you want them. And is that how how have you sort of maintained that focus through the years? Yeah, I, I mean it's been hard at times because sometimes, as you know, when you you can get busy and you can lose track of stuff and there's a lot going on. But, you know, I've just really tried to categorise it into priorities. And, you know, I've always worked on the basis of a very simple, like the first impressions from a customer, front of house, and how you do it and work with it with, within that. You know, and with that, it's very hard on some things because I'm sure a lot of obviously the colleagues within the core store can say there's some investments we make that cosmetically look good but don't really give you a return, but you have to look at the value of the first impression and how it looks and you know but I've spent a lot of money doing areas within all the sites so that we get a sit when the minute someone arrives on the site they can see who we are what we are the standards we are and I think that gives a good real approach throughout and I've always quite I've always held quite good standards in every store I've run in every truck I've run you have always really had held good standards and I really like to continue and, and that. Is that is that all about the customers or what about the staff I assume the staff respond well to a good a working environment they can be proud of the staff feel a lot happier when they're working in a nice environment you know I have taken over cool stores where we went in there and it's been no investment you know, they're even using second-hand clothing, um, you know, um, warehouse clothing and all that. And some simple things like, right, giving you brand new overalls, giving you a nice canteen facility, you know, giving you a nice clean loading area to work with. And, that. and what they can really see there now is, and people would say that with this Doncaster site, that yet now people are so happy that they're working in a clean environment and it's much more productive that you can actually then invest in the future knowing that you're becoming more efficient, you know. Uh, there's, there's too many times where you can see clearly people are just trudging through mud and you know they need to be relieved from that and you know obviously we've always invested in the staff and I'll, I mean I, you know I, I'm a very big believer first and foremost is that if we don't deliver pallets or store pallets we don't make any money so the most important thing for us is get that bit right first. Right. And, and, and you, you know, you, you, for example, through the COVID years, you, you, you didn't really have much of a staffing issue, did you? Um, you know, you were able to retain no. your people throughout, and that's sort of a testament to that, to yes. that philosophy. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, even the ones because we had a situation where some had to go on leave because customers had stopped working, and some had to stay. So they even wanted to do a swap, so they swapped halfway through. So some had some relief on furlough, and then some were transferred back, and someone would put off. So to fairly do it. But also that the guys were actually quite happy to come yeah. back to get some normality in their lives yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, how do you, I mean? You've obviously South Kirby. You've spent money on. You've developed it. You've I know you've made it bigger over the years. But but fundamentally, you've really been just improving the the, the building and the asset to make it sort of future proof. How do you make a business case yes. for that? If you've got if you've not got new pallets, you've not got new money coming in. Why? why you can see why there's a I almost see an attraction to to not doing that and seeing how much you can eke out year after year without without making those improvements. Yeah. Why? How do you sort of sell that business case to the to, to the family to the to, to the business owners and to yourself that that's actually worth making that kind of investment? Yeah, well, we try to everything we invest in. We do try to make sure it's got a return on investment, whatever that looks like. So when I'm doing anything to do with even like something that looks cosmetically 
nice but doesn't really give it a value back i just try and put that into a part of an area that obviously will help the business generate going forward you know because you know we you know we, we've done a lot of investment here where we've got some big good returns like we, we'd fully mobile rack the whole store and we gained 25 percent on that so that there and that was based on like a three to five year payback um, we then did up because we did that we did all the floors we put brand new floors down so I give the guys a nice new brand new shiny floor on every cold store you know so them them things that once they stop paying back that once they paid back the initial investment then the, it's a gift that keeps on giving so then we're then the money the money we use we allocate a certain amount of money that will help improve the site so as we've been going we've always tried to do a case where try and make use of an area and not spend money unless we're going to make some money back but there has been somewhere we've got the gift that keeps on giving that uh, helps us and allows us to do continued investment in areas. And also, you're really, that makes a lot of sense. You're also really innovative, aren't you? I mean, talk, talk to me about yeah. store pods. Where did that idea come from? Yes, well, yeah, well, I suppose it comes back from going back where we started. You know, cool stores always did have a range of customers and a lot of them consisted of these little guys with vans with five to ten pallets would come in and come in, mess your store up, get in your way, but obviously they needed a facility. So throughout the years, because of health and safety and BRC, that's become very difficult to allow people to come in and to do the vans. So I was always aware, and then since the last of the old coal stores, because as the, some of the old coal stores did get the point where they had to show, then these were the guys that were housing all of these clients, you know, the very small ones, but then they were paying money. So the, we have had a range of like, sales and queries to do with our five pallets and ten pallets and two pallets. Ones that, you know, large businesses wouldn't even be interested in. And to be honest with you, it's not something that we do as a, as a core business. But I had an area in the bottom of this three-storey building we're in. And I thought, well, at the end of the day, I don't want to spend money on this just doing it so it looks nice. I want to do something it. So I decided to construct the first stage of the store pods, which was individual storage units which hold 12 to 14 pallets and can be rented individually. And I thought, we'll start the first stage of that, see how that goes. That went very well, so we did the second stage to create, in total, eight of these pods, which we've got a very range of clients in these that come and go. And it's, it's, it's small and compared with what we do on the larger business, but it's important because this is a bit of a, from birth, you know, we can take a customer on board, someone who's got some new ideas, someone who wants to start something but very small, and then eventually they can then grow into the larger cold store once the business develops and the business plan goes. Of course, some will be where the, the pod's big enough for them and they're happy in there and they're working. We also, obviously, with any spare offices on site, we've rented them an office which is connected to the pod. So basically, from the site, which is a 24-hour operation site, they can run their small independent without the overhead costs of what they would normally do is have to rent a unit, put a lease on a unit, just to put a, a fridge unit inside that unit. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a sort of thing that you think when you see it, you think, of course that's of course that's a good idea, of course that's a that's something that that, that, that has a market. And um, but it is really yeah. you're the first, aren't you? I can't think of anyone else that's doing something like that in the market. There's the, you can I mean there is a simple way of doing it by just getting a, a refrigerated container, dumping it on the ground, and plugging it in. Well, that comes with its own, I mean, obviously, as we know, energy supplies for a start, but, you know, the whole cost of it and where you're going to put it, the security and, and all that around it. So there is that fixing up, but there's not one where we on on the cold store site. Because what happens is we'll have, like, for instance, we have a customer who brings containers in, 
we de-stuff them, we store them in our main store, and then we feed him his pallets so he can then go and do the unit level picking in his little vans in a way. So, in fairness, we do still get quite a bit of work on the back of it, whether it's haulage or whether it's de-stuffing containers, and then we'll transfer it over to their pod, and then that's when they can do what they do with their side of the final mile. So it also must be quite interesting just to see these businesses come in, their early, what stage they're at in their development, see them grow, see them, just generally have them around and sort of be around this kind of entrepreneurial yeah. kind of um, uh, oh, kind of environment, which is just an interesting thing to have around the place, I'd imagine. Yeah, I love it because it is a little bit of like sort of development. It's business development, you know, and obviously these guys do, do have ideas, have nowhere to go, haven't got the capital to build. So the short-term rental thing really works. But we've also had a whole range of like from Leeds University to you know to to restaurant local restaurant chains. We've had all sorts of aspects of people in in these pods, um, short-term and long-term. You know, so it has been really interesting. And and it obviously you know, you are I still as well as obviously the market we serve. I'm still very interested in the small final mile stuff. Yeah. You know. So let's get on. Let's go on to the bone I've got to pick with you. So, you, so you know, with all the members that I'm that I keep an eye on that you know are trying to that I worry about buying yeah. buying up members and consolidation in the market. I didn't think that you were one I had to watch, but then all of a sudden you announced that you've uh, you've acquired another one of the Cold Chain Federation members in the, in the Savage deal. How did that come about? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, as normal, obviously, the, the, we we get a lot of um, proposals through for. Uh, companies potentially that could obviously be a fit for us and there's one particularly I caught my eye on which come through and as always they come through as a you know this is a project x y you know um and would you be interested in saying an NDA so that one come through and even though uh, the, the problem is it was probably the worst kept secret when people put these things through because the minute you see the detail thing yeah, yeah exactly yeah we're not that big a market weird. you can sort of like yeah everyone knows yeah, everybody that's is. right so you that's right. So, I mean, we had an idea. So, I went through the, the, the initial on that one and um, really, you know, took a look at it, took a view on it. We, we are interested in investment and, you know, um, look going forward and growing. Uh, and we basically looked at it, seen the fit, seen the staff, worked very closely with the owners of the business. Um, and, you know, I had to keep it very quiet. I mean, there would have been other people as normal in the NDA and there was other offers within that business. But, you know, obviously, one thing the owner wanted to do was to make sure that he had a right fit for his business because he wanted to leave his staff in good hands. So I worked very closely with Martin Savage, who headed up. We gained a good relationship with it. We kept very close. We were best mates for the 12 months of negotiations because, you know, we have to stay close. But as you're probably aware and everybody else is aware that, you know, Obviously, these acquisitions now, through ones that have happened, there's not many left. So there's not many of your old stores left to purchase. So it was very important that we really kept that one totally uh, quiet. And so strategically, obviously, you've got you've got South Kirby, you've got Newcastle, and now you've extended into into the south effectively. So is it really about that kind of? Is it as simple as trying to build that kind of national network, or is there, is there something else behind it as well? No, it was purely just to expand our uh, capability of cold storage, you know, wherever that may be. You know, we have looked, I mean, we have got plans on every one of our sites to put um, extended cold stores on, but we all know that, you know, to build these cold stores isn't cheap, you know, particularly with the materials and everything. The build times are longer, the prices are higher, and if we can acquire a cold store that is obviously already there, then that obviously is always the best ground to start with, you know. 
some of these coal stores weren't built to last as long as they have, but you know they have. With the racking in the plant, which are replaceable parts, it's as long as the main core building is solid. And some of these buildings, I mean, this one at South Kirby, it was built in the seventies, and I think it's got enough steel and it lasts for hundred years. You know, they're being built stronger than they would ever be like now. So it's a case of doing the fundamental stuff, which is plant racking, you know, all that stuff. Um, but the Savage businesses, they were they were a good fit. They have done exactly what we we do as a business, you know, and actually it's been received very well from the Savage staff, who have been fantastic. Um, hopefully we can take that to the next level. So, and I and I and I absolutely know that they that will work because because of the team that you've you've got around you. Um, like I said, I've said this a couple of times, but I sort of dwell on it now. You, um, whenever you meet Storlog's team. You kind of get a sense that you 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 are, and I'm sure there's obviously issues below the surface, like little ones, whatever. But fundamentally, you run a tight ship of people that really buy into the to what you're trying to achieve. What do you what have you yeah. learned over the years about managing teams that you think makes that sort of thing possible? Communication. Make sure they're always in part of your plan. You know, for even start, you know, I never stop talking to people who will tell you that. You know. One thing you've always got to do is not be the one who has all the ideas in the head but not tell anybody anything. You know, I like to tell everybody everything in that they can see. So, you know, when we've got an idea and we say, this is what we want it to look like, we say to the guys, look, this is what it's going to look like. So you've got to understand the stages we get to get where we get. So the direction of travel is so important because the guys have got to understand what we're all working towards. You know, each site shares its PLs. Some people have never even seen PL in their life and run sites. We've been running this is how it runs, this is what it costs, this is what the cost means, this is what the sales mean, this is what the investment means, you know. And so every site I go to I, I, I really communicate with the team about what the next plan is and next idea is because I, I always think that if you start with the end in mind then you can really get somewhere with it. Is that, is that at all levels? I mean, obviously, I, I know that you're a very strong believer of getting out there and actually being on the floor. You know, you're, you're loading and unloading, yeah. you're helping out, you're, you're very visible on, as a kind of a leader of the business. Is it, so you're literally talk, having those conversations down to the people that are doing the, on the shift, doing the loading and unloading? Yeah. Literally, there's, if, there's not a question I won't answer to anybody. You know, I've said to them, you ask me a question, I'll answer it. You know, and I'll answer it as honest as I can do, do that. It's so important... And like the Savage sites, for instance, obviously we're just in the first stage of development with where we want them sites to be. And I'm involving all the staff, the management and the staff with that so they can see what it's going to look like and what it's going to do. And then that means that if there is some things that they're not quite happy with, they can see that at some point that's going to change, you know. So, you know, being really it's engaging them, letting them take, get involved with it, give them the ideas, and then following from that to be on its ownership. And then when they take ownership of these things, you know, then they can see how good it can run. Then that's where you get the buy-in, you know, in fairness. And I never stop communicating. I like to lead by example. Uh, you know, I'll put as much in as the next man. You know, there's no special treatment for me as an MD against anybody who's doing anything else. We all have a rule in the business, and what we do is we, we carry out that rule in and, the best I way mean, we can. I mean, obviously, on a personal level, your commitment to this business is massive. I mean, you've been living away from home yeah. for, for a decade, more yeah. than a decade, um, to be present yeah. and on the ground with your with your team in South Kirby. I know you've also got the team in Newcastle, which is closer to home for you. But uh, but that, yeah. and then you've also now got to be down in Thetford and, and other parts of the country as well. So uh, that's a that's a big old commitment on a personal level. 
It, it, it is, and you know, I should add in at this point, I have my colleague, uh, David yeah. Lyon, who's the operations director, who's just as committed, um, you know, in between the two of them. And he's coming from Scotland to do it. Yeah, he's come from Scotland, so he's come a bit further. But we made the commitment when we joined the business, you know, and we're fully committed to the business, to the staff, to the customers. You know, David himself's been in the business 30-odd years, you know. We've worked closely together for probably nearly 20 of them, you know, and um, your friends will make a real good team, you know. You, Dave is it likes the attention to detail. I like to do the more broad brush, you know, so it works really well, you know, and, and as we go forward and develop with that one. So, yeah, we're sort of committed to it, but we're, we're sort of like we're, we're proper loyal. When we say we do something, we do it and we'll stick with it and do it. And, you know, we set out with a plan. And the plan is to leave this business is much better than we found it um, for the next generation to come, you know, and we are creating future leaders with that. And you can see that coming through. Standards are very high as well. You know, when it comes to health and safety, sort of, you know, sort of compliance standards across the business, you, there's a real culture of that in the operation as well. I mean, how does that, is that sort of, again, that linked to the same challenge, same opportunity, well, the same principle, which is about communication? Is that, is that really how you deliver that yeah. as well? There's that, there's communication and investment when it comes to that, because, you know, obviously, you know, as you know, we've got the team with, you know, the compliance team with Kerry and Joanne, who does a lot of work within the Federation, um, and they love it. And obviously, you know, it's only fair to them that we give them the correct tools to work with, the correct platforms to work on, you know, so our job has been to get the commercials right so that we can make the money so we can then reinvest so they can then do their job properly. You know, because if you're firefighting through a situation with something that's not quite fit for purpose, then you're never going to achieve what you want to achieve. So we give them the full support that we, we'll do the investment, we'll get the platform right, and then from that it's a case of keeping it going forward. A year after year we've been raising our standards, and every year they get better and better. We're now AAAPRC, we're unannounced, we're happy with that. We do some mock ones ourselves, but, you know, in fairness, every time we arrive on a site, you know, people now start seeing art. Oh, it's not, not us just being picky. It's us going and think, actually, this is what good looks like, you know. And that's where it is. Every site you go to for an hour business, you will get it's the a same. Real credit to you. It's like the pre- so obviously the pressure of cost, the pressure of diesel cost, the pressure of energy cost, the yeah. the pressure of of, of 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 being more efficient. Do you feel optimistic yeah. that you've got a way forward as a business to to deliver those kinds of efficiencies through the investments you're making and and do you, do, you feel, do you feel like you're well placed for what's coming, or do you feel like there's more to do? I think I think there's I think we're in a good place, and there's more to do. I think you know, obviously we started. I mean, we started a lot of years ago, putting the solars on, putting the wind turbines in. We did all that a lot of years ago. Um, you know, I've always said as well as everything else, because one thing I like to do, my theory has always been concentrate on the differences you can make if there's something that you can't make a difference on don't waste your time doing it because you'll be better off putting in things you can do and one of the things we can do is obviously look at areas within our own business where we can actually you know invest to be greener cleaner cheaper you know cheaper running costs more efficient and gain the efficiencies such as the racking project where we've gained you know 25 percent more capacity we're busy putting a brand new plant into the south kirby site at the cost of four million pound um, but that's going to gain where a payback over years of reduced maintenance and reduced energy. I've always worked on the basis that whilst there's some percentages in negotiations to do with rates and the cost of unit prices and things, 
But I've always worked on the basis if you can get rid of 100% of the cost, that's got to be the best way forward. You know, so we've got to, as a business and industries, we've got to make sure the empty miles, the empty space, all the things that we can make some differences that 100% of a saving of a cost, then we do that. You know, I quite often say to the customer, whilst we provide the logistic service on the wheels, I won't give you a truck if you don't need a truck. Because if we can stop turning wheels and stop burning fuel, then that's what we should do. And you know, there's been many operations within the past where I've actually done a little bit of consultancy with them and actually said, well, look, if you actually change some patterns of what you do, you can actually turn five trucks into three trucks. And whilst I could sit here and negotiate a rate reduction of 3% or something, I can actually save you 100% of this cost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That kind of that kind of they talk about the aggregation of marginal gains. The the the, the being just being yeah. smarter in doing what you do probably is the thing that's going to make the biggest difference to your overall performance. Yes. Rather than you know there is innovation, there is technology, there are big investments you can make. But if you're not running it right, it won't make any difference. I guess that's that's, to, that's totally right. There's no point in having a brand new plant and leaving it open, is it? You know, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's so yeah. It's all these fixes along the way to get things nice, clean, efficient. And as you've seen with the stores that we've done, with the investment we've made in the stores and the stores and the you know we've got no snow, no ice, no. It's all clean and you know efficient. You know, there's nothing worse than going into a coal store and having ice on the floor, ice on the ceiling. You know, doors that are seeping energy out. All, all hours, you know. And um, so, my final question for you, my final sort of questions for you, are really about you see, communication within the business is really important to you. But I think I'd also say that you'll communicate yes. really well with the wider market. So, you know, you're a pretty open yeah. business when it comes to talking to suppliers, to, to other businesses in the, in the cold storage market. You're really kind of collaboration focused by culture. And why, why do you do that? Why, why do you engage in people with people like the Federation, would you say? I've, I've been. I've, you know, I think it's got a lot to do with, I guess, your personality as well. But, you know, I've always wanted to work and be keen to work with people. You know, I've I've always gained through customers a good relationship and a good, honest and open relationship, you know. And I like to think that that's been a credit to, obviously, when customers have placed their work with us on the basis of the no, if I say I'll do it, I can do it, you know. But I've always enjoyed it. And one of the things with the Federation which I really do enjoy now, and me and Tim and that, and we've discussed it, is the fact that, you know, more than ever now, the old school way was nobody talks to each other, they'll have a little bit of a rant, but nobody will go and understand, share a practice or share a best, you know, solution. Where like now, working with ourselves as MDs of these stores, whilst we're still always very commercially sensitive and always confidential, we the collaboration between each other of sensible things just make such a difference, you know, and they, that communication at this moment is the best it's ever been, you know, with that, you know, because sharing practices and sharing best practices has got to be the way forward, you know, so that we all can give the customer ultimately what they want. And, and from a supplier point of view, so businesses that are kind of, you know, looking to provide services to you, whether it's racking or yeah. plant or, or trucks or, or other services, how do, you sort of, how do you sort of go to the market to find them? What are you, what are you looking for in, in those sorts of partners to, to help you do in your business? Well, one of, the, one of the things I've always did with this, whether it's trucks, trailers, fridge plant, you know, the, you've got to choose the right partner because one thing is, as, as a part of my role is like purchasing, being a purchasing and procurement, if you like, it's a it's a very easy position to go and buy something. You can buy, you know, it's what 
it's what's behind that. It knows where, who's going to support that. And one of the things I always look for is on anything I purchase is, is the support there? You know, because we're going to we're going to buy this and whatever we're going to run it for five, ten, fifteen years. And is the support going to be there once the seal's been made? You know, and that's the thing. I, I hear to say it, but a lot of people couldn't could make decisions based on purely the financials. Mean that that's the best, cheapest product. Let's get that one in. But it may mean that the actual backup service isn't as good as what the more expensive product was. So it's just trying to get something that will, the whole life cost is very important to me. So when I do any purchase, I look at whole life cost and how it's going to be supported. From so obviously you've described how you see yourself as a supplier of service to your customers about trying to find ways to reduce 100% of the cost, to, be, to, to run yeah. things efficiently, to have a kind of plan for how they're going to run throughout their lives. You're kind of looking for that from your suppliers too, aren't you? You're expecting them to reflect yeah. that culture yeah. and that approach to be a good fit for you. Yeah, 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 yeah I suppose that's probably true to say that, you know, because... Customers, suppliers, we we need both, you know, and we've got to be close to both. And I'm really proud that I've got actually a lot of customers and suppliers who have become good friends purely because we've got the respect for each other to do what we do is in the business. That's the right thing to get deliver the right product and give the right level of support from both sides, you know. And and that you can then recommend to your customer some of your suppliers who supply you on that basis. So what? So thanks a lot, Paul. I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of great value in this conversation, which I'm gonna delighted to be able to share with 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 the with with the podcast, Cold Chain Podcast audience. Um, where's your motivation levels at now? You know, been doing this for a long time. You know, how do you see your region, yeah. you know, your future? Are you sort of still raring to go? You're still making big moves, buying new businesses and and making investments. Are you sort of yeah. sort of looking optimistically at the few at the years ahead? Yeah, I think I think we always have to get to a certain point in your life where you've passed halfway through it, and you think, you know, we'll have to start thinking about the next generation and the next succession. And it, whilst I still have the same energy I've had always about the industry and what it can do and how we can do it, and you know, I love a challenge and I love the next step. Um, I am obviously very mindful that within the team that we've got is de- developing and delivering the team to do, to be the next the next in line. You know, the next future leaders, as you know, is important to me, and we're obviously looking for that within our business now. You know, I'd like to feel as though I've got a lot of years of obviously you know development and advice and in that I can do. You know, but I, I have also got on the basis that it's not. And I have to say this because I, I think. Maybe maybe it's not always the case, but I always make it that any part of this business doesn't rely on me running it. You know, I, I like to, to deliver and to drive and move forward, but everybody else is on their side of it is doing it. So you use the old scenario: you've got to do the old. Well, if you got knocked down by a bus, who would and how would it? And I'm pleased to say that this business, as it stands, without like all I do is the next day, next year, next year is it will run and still continue to deliver the service that it delivers based on the way everybody's positioned. Yeah. And that is a credit to you. And I would, I, would, I, would, I would see that. I think you would be a big, it would be a big gap if you were to, your, your personality yes. that drives the business is really important. But I do think that the, you can see that in the people that are around you, that they share those values and, would, yeah. and, 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 and deliver them and amplify them in, in what you do. Thanks for what the ISCO does, supporting the Cold Chain Federation and you know, I think it really is a credit to our industry that you guys are doing what you're doing. And it's so exciting what's coming ahead for you as a business. Um, and thank you very much for joining us on the Cold Chain Podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shane. And thank you for the opportunity. And again, 
thank you as the cold chain for everything you are doing as well. I think there's a mutual partnership and it's you know there's no iron team in that and I think you's exactly as we are just want the right thing for the business going forward. So thanks for this thanks opportunity. A thanks a lot, Paul. So there you have it. That was Paul Martin, leader of the Door Logs, formerly known as Ice Company Storage and Logistics. Um someone who over five years that I've been in the industry has been a incredibly supportive uh, friend and mentor on understanding the industry, understanding what makes businesses tick, understanding how to build strong compliance and innovation focused operations. Um, someone who's you know done a few years, learned what works, learned what he enjoys doing, what he thinks his team will enjoy and respond to, and makes that work in practice. And I think that that's something we can all aspire to in terms of what we want to achieve in our in, in our working lives as well. Hopefully you found that useful. If you did, please leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Maybe share the fact this podcast exists with your friends and colleagues. Let's get those listeners up. And if you're interested in being an interviewee for the Cold Chain Podcast, then please get in touch. So thanks as ever for listening. If you're in the UK, I hope you're coping with this really uh, hot weather. Um, and if you're not in the UK, wherever you are in the world, um, enjoy your week. I wish you success and I look forward to being with you again soon. 